Today's Tuesday, February 18th, 2019, and this week on the Birdland BS Podcast. We discuss some important dates of note for Ravens fans and the predictable release of a fan favorite. The Terps get a huge win in East Lansing and continue getting national attention. Spring training is underway as the O's full squad reported Monday, and the XFL continues to impress with an increased attendance. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. On excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. BS, BS. What's oh, up, yeah. BSers? Fred and Scott in the studio. What is up? Just the two of us tonight. Just the two of us. You didn't break out into music in no, the actual show. You no. did it in the pre-show. So I'll I thank it. you and thank you for sparing those fans <laughs> that actually wait to the actual show. I got to leave something special for the pre-show people and for the post-show people, Scott. Got to give them something to buy into, something to listen to. If that's what you're doing during pre-show, I don't want to know what you're doing during post-show, and you can get the hell out of my house for that. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's uh, got a lot to talk about. Uh, on this show. The Ravens uh, have some important dates and note coming up that we're going to kind of get into and break down some things to look forward to for this offseason, some dates that you really want to put on your calendar. Yeah, I mean, we also had the the parting ways. We expected it with, yeah. with a with a well-liked Raven uh, and then another Raven that decided to uh, take a suspension. Right. We'll get into that in a little bit. We'll talk but, a little bit about him, too. Yeah. Uh, the Terps continue to win. Uh, this is now eight straight. They tip off tonight. Uh, this team is hot as hot can be. Uh, and they continue to get attention from outside viewers. Yeah, this national media, especially after that Michigan game, we're going to talk about it. We watched that thing Michigan live. Michigan State. Michigan State, yes, yes. let me be clear. <laughs> Michigan State game. Uh, we watched that live. It started gaining real national media attention. And there's because of that, there's some things that happened this week. We're going to get into that. Yeah, and spring training's in full go as full squads reported down to uh, Sarasota. Yeah. For yeah. the O's. That on Monday, spring training yeah. on, on Monday, Monday they were they reported yesterday. So you had a lot of the guys getting full full workouts in today. Yeah, man, and uh, can't go without saying, ladies and gentlemen, this is the XFL. <laughs> That's right, the XFL is continuing to impress, man, as ratings go up. From week one to week two. Surprise. Ratings go up. Attendance goes up. We get two firsts this week. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. It is. As this evolves and starts to kind of really seems to be gaining momentum. Well, this is two weeks in a row that it's on our show that we're going to talk about it. Gaining momentum. Maybe it means something. I don't know. <laughs> Before we talk too much about anything, I want to remind you guys, if you've ever been injured at work or in an auto accident and weren't sure who to call, 855-MD-CRASH. The Maryland personal injury attorneys that have your back. If you find yourself in that unfortunate situation, and I sure should have, give our team at MD Crash a call right away. We all know the cost of medical bills, lost wages, and pain and suffering can all add up quickly and potentially put you in a bad financial place. If you want a team that will handle your case, big or small, and just give you some peace of mind, save this number now, 855-MD-CRASH. That's 855-632-7274. Be sure to follow them on Facebook for some fun giveaways, including to tickets to potentially the Orioles and maybe even some minor league teams. 
All right, Scott, it's time for some Ravens flock news. Uh, and I guess before we kind of get into those important dates that we talked about and kind of map out the next couple of months for the Ravens, uh, we got to give some respect to where it's due. And that's uh, to jo- Tony Jefferson, uh, who was yeah. released officially this past week. Yeah, I mean, he was released by a team. You and I talked about this like uh, two weeks ago that we anticipated this happening. It actually yeah. took a little longer than I thought it was going to. Right. Uh, what I didn't realize in this release mm-hmm. was the cap space hit that he was that we were going to take on it because he he was on a four year contract, so they released him a year early, and it's cap space hit of about four point six million. It's not anything like largely detrimental, but I guess. Like, as I started to analyze this release a little bit more, looking at those figures, looking at, you know, yes, I know he came off injury, but he had a great 2018. He looked like he was having a great 2019 until he got hurt. He was kind of a leader of this team. I wouldn't say great, but he was having a decent 2019. When I say great, he was a play caller and he was doing fairly well with it. Mm, questionable. <laughs> I know. What I'm going to pull your that. card on this. Listen, I know what you're doing. Tony All Jefferson right. is a good football player. I won't say he's great. He's a good football player. Just an undrafted guy, right? So he's been he started with beating, Arizona, right? Yes, he's been beating everybody's expectations really since day one for an undrafted guy. Uh, signed a big contract to come here and fill a void. Uh, and look, he he was admirable. He did good in here. But what I have the, so much respect for Tony was his buy-in to the organization, right? The respect that he had for upper management, the Ravens organization as a whole, kind of how they go to business, how they do things. And even even in a situation like this where he's being released, and he's known, the writing's been on the wall now for, for weeks, even months, that his time was numbered here, yeah, uh, and his days were numbered, that he was going to eventually be released. But he's done nothing but show respect, including putting a, uh, a really nice video together, a yeah. thank you video to Baltimore, a nice tweet, a nice uh, post on, on Instagram. These are things that, you know, players don't have to do right they're not forced to do these these are things that i think show how much character tony jefferson really has what's not just how much character tony jefferson has it's how much impact baltimore has on some of these players right you know that's the big thing when you look at things and say you know this guy spent three years here he's been in the he's been in the league for what seven years now total yeah so he spent four with uh arizona where he was undrafted and then you know signed contract with them Mm -hmm. then he comes here signs contract with us we go three out of the four years on him and both teams it was a mutual almost parting of ways is the way that it felt and that shows the impact that baltimore has on these players that they're taking the extra effort to say like i felt like i belonged here but you know what it's my time to go but i want to thank you for being here and here's my thought on this i mean tony jefferson's what 28 years old yeah i Give him a year or two to come back from this injury, depending on what kind of what type of contract he gets in free agency. Maybe we see him back here in Baltimore at some point. Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I, listen, hey, but this Tony, guy's got a, a strong football IQ. I mean, to, let's not forget that. Yes, he does. He wasn't the greatest of communicators, and that was the problem early on in the season with our defense is the lack of communication that we had. Chuck Clark immediately fixed that. Right, so. Tony Jefferson is still a very effective football player. He just wasn't the right fit here. I think he will find a job elsewhere, and he will succeed, and he will do good again. Um, I have, like I said, I have nothing but respect for the guy. He just wasn't the right fit here, and I didn't think that he and Earl Thomas paired well together. Chuck Clark and Earl Thomas do pair well together, especially when you got a guy like Earl Thomas with the ability he has, but coming into a defense that he isn't 
familiar with at all. He's completely out of place. He's only used to playing cover two defense most of his career. Uh, he's got a lot to learn, and Chuck Clark was able to do that. And it wasn't just Earl Thomas that spoke highly of Chuck Clark. It was pretty much everybody in that secondary and on that defense, for that matter, just talking about his ability to communicate with players and get them in the right positions. It was huge in the difference that we saw from the beginning of the year to the second half of the year. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. I guess I, it's it's that that inner fan. And I'm, I'm drinking the purple Kool-Aid that I did like Tony Jefferson. I thought he was a great guy. He was great for the community. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that was well-respected. Um, and I believe, if I remember correctly, he was also the Walter Payton pick for the Ravens this year. Uh, two, Tony Jefferson? Yeah. No, Brandon uh, Carr. Brandon Carr, Brandon Carr, Brandon Carr. okay. I know. Well, Brandon Carr also got it last year, didn't he? Brandon Carr, I think yeah. he's been our nomination every year that he's been here. Yeah, so, I mean, it, but either way, Tony Jefferson has been well-known in the community. People know who he is, and he's only been here for three years. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the impact. And, look, I, I, I wish Tony nothing but the best of luck. I, at some point, I I would like to see him back as, as, as a Raven, uh, you know, even if it's in a diminished role at a diminished cost to us, which – Honestly, I he seems like the type of guy that would do that. Right. Um, but in all reality, I just look at it and I wish him the best of luck, you know, in his future endeavors. You know, it sounds cliche, but I really do. Yeah. Um, I think to your point, Chuck Clark is the better fit and, and, and better there. I guess I was just looking as a secondary option. You know, you look at him, you he's coming off injury. I, I guess maybe they have a lot of faith in some of these young guys that they're going to be able to step up. Well, it's it's partly that and it's again it comes down to money too. You know, the the cap savings that you get by releasing Tony Jefferson pretty much negates the contract extension that you give Chuck Clark. So it's pretty much a wash there. Yeah. Chuck Clark was going to be your starter. There's no way Tony Jefferson comes no, back. No, he's not starting for Chuck Clark him. the way that it went. So with the tight cap space that they have and the money that they're going to have to allocate in other places, this was just like I said, it was one of those writings on the wall type moves. Um, and, and this speaks to me, you know, Jeff Zerebeck of the, the Athletic put out an article about this, and I couldn't agree with him more. I think this speaks volumes of just how much the Ravens have struggled to draft safeties since Ed Reed. Really, since Ed Reed left, we've had to buy our way through safeties outside of Chuck Clark. Right. We've had to buy Eric Weddle. We've had to buy Tony Jefferson. We've had to buy right, Earl Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. We had to buy all these names. Uh, so, I mean, you can almost put safety up there with wide receiver as far as how much we've missed through the draft years and, and you know, well, things is that it, just haven't misses, developed right. I guess is, I was going to say, is it misses in the in the draft or lack of player development? In Either way, wh whatever it may be, it's just it's it's two target areas that the Ravens have had to go out and spend money instead of developing these young guys and getting them on the rookie deals and having them be productive, which is right. why I'm so happy to see Chuck Clark finally get the you know, the, the recognition that he deserves. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's it's well-deserved. But, you know, we, we're talking about kind of wasted money. Let's talk about the four games of wasted money that's going to come this season Yeah, in James Hurst. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of – I'm on the fence about this. So if you haven't heard yet, uh, James Hurst was suspended for the four, first four games of the 2020 season. Uh, he tested positive for PEDs. Uh, kind of came out of left field, but this actually makes – sense for me as to why the Ravens recently retained Andre Smith right. for the year. Uh, I thought maybe Andre Smith was a depth thing. They had this on the radar. They knew that this was coming. He warned them that it was coming. And, that, and that's why they extended him. So with that said, 
I wonder if the Ravens kind of give Hurst a pass on this and they let him serve his suspension and come back and see if he, you know, kind of the second chance type thing. Right. Because this is the first time I've ever heard James Hurst having an issue. Uh, or do they cut ties and use him as an example? Because, listen, we talked about this last week. James Hurst, he's not the best offensive lineman. I don't want him out there as a starter. But what he brings in versatility, being able to put him pretty much anywhere on the line except for center, put him at either guard position, either tackle position, from a depth perspective, when you have one guy that can be that utility knife on the offensive line, it's huge. So I'm really intrigued to see what the Ravens do here. Do they let him go, or do they let him serve a suspension and continue playing? I, I mean, I think you're, you're spot on. I think I think they wind up let him keep playing unless he starts to fall. If he falls off, then you, you kind of say, look – you had one strike against you with the PEDs. The second strike coming at you is the fact that you're not playing well. Right. So it's and John Harbaugh, we know he doesn't like putting up with this type of stuff. Somehow he's put up with, with Jimmy Smith with it. But in all reality, let's look at they, they don't play around with stuff like this. And typically I, they don't. And I think the real te- this is going to honestly be a test not for James Hurst, not for John Harbaugh, but for Eric DeCosta. Because with DaCosta looking at this setup and saying, okay, I've got Hurst out for the first four games. He goes and gets Smith. I don't think Smith is a long-term fix at that position. Right. Obviously, that's why you only yeah, sign him for one year. It's temporary. But at the same time, I think it's I think Hurst, when he comes back, he better be in damn good shape and playing damn well. Unless Andre Smith is playing out of his damn mind and and earns the job over Hurst. Well, Andre Smith historically has only been a backup tackle in his career. I'm not saying he can't play guard, but he's traditionally only played tackle. Uh, I do think that, again, he was just there to get them through as a bridge for those first four games if the Ravens are going to decide to keep Hurst. Um, Listen, I I know Harbaugh in the sense that if he is going to end up keeping Hurst, he's had a stern talking to him, almost like that (laughs) fatherly type of talk. You know, that's just how – you know, Harbaugh operates. You know, that's how that whole family operates, just kind of in their blood. Um, and I, and you know, I don't like I said, I'm not trying to harp too hard on James Hurst. This is a first time offense for anything that I've heard about him. Uh, I'd just be interested to see what the Ravens do. But one thing I am going to harp on is some of these idiotic fans on social media. Hey, some of those people might be out there. Hey, that's all right. If it was you that did it, I'm calling you out. I don't yeah, care. Oh, you wouldn't hesitate to call me out. That's no, for sure. No, we got, we're going to talk about some things oh, later. Oh, don't you even we're get gonna, into that. We're going to talk about the same, some things later. Uh, but on social media, man, I saw this thing kind of, not trending, but just kind of going around and people talking about it. People that I kind of respect that I looked that were actually talking about it too. And I'm like, why are we even giving this time? And here we go on our show, giving it time. But I saw <laughs> I saw some people talking about Marlon Humphrey. Oh, I saw this. And if the Ravens aren't planning to re-sign him, trading him now and getting something in value for him while he still has value to another team versus just letting him play his contract out and getting nothing for him, thoughts on that? It's a double-edged sword. It really is because you have yet to see – uh, Marlon Humphrey in free agency. So once Marlon Humphrey hits free agency, is, is he going to bite and on the Ravens and say, I'll take a discount to stay here, depending on how the Ravens are going to do? Or is he is he going to jump on this bandwagon of, you know, I, I want I want to stay here. Like a lot of these guys are, you know, you're hoping that he, he goes that route. Right. But he could go the route of free agency and go, you know what? I want to see how much money I can get. And he's look, let's be real. G- 
Marlon Humphrey is Jimmy Smith plus. Because oh, yeah. J- Jimmy Smith, we expected Jimmy Smith to do well, all, minus all the suspensions and the you know the the injuries. Jimmy Smith was a damn good corner. We were we were impri- still is a good corner. He still is. But Marlon Humphrey takes it to another level. Yeah, he's definitely above Peters. He's your number one cornerback right now, and it's it's a high risk. He's a, let's let, let me ask you this: Is he not a top five cornerback in the? Oh, league? he's absolutely a top five cornerback. He's, he's going to top get, three in my he, opinion. He's going to get top five money. There's no debate about that. Comparing Peters and Har- Marlon Humphrey, they're two different style of corners. They play differently, um, so it's kind of a hard comparison there. But listen, like I've said for the past couple of weeks, there's a trend to what the Ravens are doing. The Ravens are building their defense from the back forward, right? They've already locked up Tavon Young. They've already locked up Earl Thomas. They just locked up Chuck Clark. They locked up Marcus Peters. I cannot see leaving Marlon Humphrey, the guy that you drafted, the guy that you drafted out there and not pay this guy. They're going to pay him. It's ridiculous to think that they won't. It's going to take some time because, listen, the Ravens don't have to pay him right now. And they're going to pay him top five money regardless of whether he gets paid now or he gets paid next year when he hits free agency. The Ravens, I cannot see them, Eric DaCosta, I shouldn't even say the Ravens. I can't see Eric DaCosta being that naive and being that dumb, for lack of a better term, and letting letting your best corner, really, in my opinion, your best defensive player at this point, walk. At especially this young of an age, there's no way this happens. I, I don't. I don't think it happens. Like I said, it's just a double-edged sword. I think it's the longer you wait, the more of a risk it becomes because you know, and it's 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 double-edged sword on the risk of, of you know injury. If I, I get why they tr- are trying to you know maybe push it back, right. sh- show me a little bit more production this year. Maybe that number raises a little bit, right? Maybe that's the side. We don't know the side conversations that are happening here. Yeah, but in all reality. You have to think an offer has been put out there or at least been discussed, you know, and, and I think Marlon Humphrey is that type of corner that he can have a high level. My worry is that you start weighing so long that let's say Marlon has a year of his career this this coming year, right? right? He's, he's six games in. He's having a year of his career. Contract extension talks start to get a little harder when that happens mm-hmm. because now the price drives up and he starts saying, well, you're offering me this much, but my agent thinks I can get this much if I go to free agency. Well, That's, I, I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying, and I, I understand what you're saying, and I think this next topic will kind of bring it all together for me and what I what I think. So there's also been talks out there and a lot of fans clamoring for the Ravens to go after Jadavian Clowney because obviously we have a, <laughs> a, a strong need for pass rush. There's all these question marks about Matt Judon. What do the Ravens do here? Uh, is Jadavian Clowney worth the type of money that he's going to demand? Uh, and if you listen to his recent statements and interviews, he wants to go to a team that's going to compete and give him a chance at winning a ring, and he wants to go to a team that's going to pay him top flight money. And I'm talking top of the league pass rush money. Is he worth the money? First thought. Yes, no. Yes. Okay. For the Ravens, he's worth the money. I think he's worth the money. Why? I think he's worth more money than Judon is. Why is that? He's I think he, I feel like he's a little bit more proven. He's done it in multiple locations. It it doesn't it's not like you know, he it's not like this guy is is unproven. And that's that's what I keep going back to. Judon's not unproven either. 
But I think Judon has a, a, a stronger mentality of I want money versus the mentality of I want to play for a competitor. Mm. I you he, only heard half of that conversation. There were two things that he put out there, and who wouldn't want these things, right? Everybody wants to play for a competitor. Everybody wants to make all the money in the world, right? My thing on Jadavian Clowney is he's a me guy. He's not a team guy. And you've seen that throughout his entire career. I mean, he's always been about trying to position himself somewhere better. He's been trying to get out of Houston. He got to Seattle. Things didn't go great in Seattle. Now he's trying to position himself, which he should because it is a say, business. Isn't, isn't that making the it best is, of the situation where a, you are? It is a business. But then the problem that you have with him on the field is just that, staying on the field. He's had injury history. So if you're going to pay somebody top top-tier money for a position, you want to make sure he checks off all the boxes. Is he an intimidating player? Is he in a force when he's on the field? Absolutely. There's no denying that. But how often has he been injured? How often has he been on the field? And truthfully, how many sacks does this guy really put up? If it comes down to, you know, if it comes down to it and your your soul, your not sole job, but your most important job is getting to the quarterback and putting up sacks. This guy hasn't been lighting the world on fire in sacks, not enough in my opinion to justify paying this guy top pass rush money. But look at look at the lines he's been playing on. I mean, like, yeah. it's it's not like he's playing with a, a bunch of guys. Like, the, the line that we had this he year. He played with J.J. Watt. All I right. mean, a, a multiple-time defensive MVP. And Judon played with, with Suggs. I mean, it's, it's the uh, same. A very old and slow Suggs. It's a totally <laughs> different Suggs. But my point I'm is. Play devil's advocate here. My, no, I, I get it. My point is, in trying to bring this all around, is the Ravens, I think, are all about taking care of their guys. And I think Eric DaCosta has made that clear, right? And there are some important pieces that are going to be coming up for big deals here soon. Marlon Humphrey is one. Ronnie Stanley is another. These are two important cogs for your team that's going to eat up a lot of salary cap. And I think before this season kicks off, those two guys will be under long-term contracts because I think ultimately, and this is just my opinion, I have no inside information, just my opinion is the Ravens are going to allocate their funds, which really isn't a whole lot of cap space. They're in the bottom half of the league. They're in the low 20s as far as cap space goes. That allotted amount of cap space they have is going to go to retaining their guys and then building their defensive front through some value type guys. Like, one, you're going to have to make yeah. some additions through the draft. And two, you're well, going to have to find some value picks like a, you know, a Gerald McCoy. But I, but at this point, I have faith. I have faith in, in DeCosta's ability to, I mean, we, how many times have we seen him get these value guys? We've seen him do it time and time again. And ultimately that's, I, in my opinion, that's so that he can wind up giving us the ability to go after some big name players and have that ability. Like we did, we did have a comment that came across that I, I wanted to kind of point out is Steven Seavers on Facebook. He said, Peters wasn't a team player either, but that changed when he got to the Ravens. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good point. That's a valid it's, point. It, it, I think that's a great point because I think when you look at that, that's one of the things we immediately said about Peters when we, when there was rumors of, of him coming to Baltimore, we said, hey, he's a me guy. Da, da. The same could be true for Clowney, and we don't know. Yeah. But kind of go going back to that, it's it's one of those things that you have so much you have so much limited cap space that you have to covet what you have. 
And I think and that's where I think that they're going to spend their money. I don't think they're going to make these big splash signings that, you know, some fans are clamoring for, like the Jadavian Clownies. I think that they'll allocate those funds towards keeping them what got them to 14 and two this past year. Do we need improvements at pass rush? And is is Matt Judon a huge cloud of question right now? Absolutely, because Matt Judon's going to re- require a huge contract. Is he worth that money? We've debated that back and forth. What's the date? What's the date they have to franchise tag him by? Uh, so we'll we'll kind of get into that. Okay. So let let let's let's uh, I guess we can hop right into that. So some of the things that you guys should be looking forward to, if you don't know these dates already, these are some important dates to put on your calendar uh, to kind of. Keep engaged with things, kind of know when things are going to be happening in the NFL uh, as we get closer to, you know, training camp and preseason football. So first things first, we got the scouting combine coming up February 25th to March 2nd. Obviously, we all know the importance behind that or the non-importance behind that, How depending on what side of the fence you're on there. We, we um, all see how that worked out with Lamar. Yeah, right. Uh, also, on February 25th is just that. That's the first day that teams okay. can actually designate franchise tags. Okay. Uh, so you won't see a franchise tag put on until the end of this month. The Ravens have probably already made up their mind if they are going to use it or if they're not going to use it. So it's just a formality now well, as they, to wait. They only have like, what, two weeks to, to be able to franchise tags? I think it's what, the uh, two weeks later, like the 10th or something like that, that they have to. That's the deadline yeah. for the franchise. Tag, it's right? a little over two weeks, right? So they got the 25th okay. to March 10th prior to 4 o'clock uh, before they have to actually designate their, their franchise tag. Uh, then moving forward, March 16th to March 18th, this is kind of the, we call it the the tampering period. Uh, shout out to Chibs on social media. I think that's what he used it as, and it's Eddie's right. Uh, this is when clubs are kind of pr- permitted to contact and enter into contract negotiation with the certified agents of players who will, who will become unrestricted free agents so they're not quite yet that date hasn't come yet but this is that window of time prior to it happening where agents are allowed to kind of negotiate contracts hush hush behind the door you know where it's 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 legal right <laughs> but nobody really there's talks no about tampering at that point right exactly and then march 18th uh is where all teams actually have to be under the 2020 salary cap prior to 4 p.m uh also on that date all 2019 player contracts expire and the 2020 contracts then take over. Right. So if you got a raise from 2019 to 2020, that's an important date for you as a player because that's when that raise kicks in from 19 to 20. The end of March, March 29th to April 1st, this is the league meetings uh, right. in Palm Beach, Florida. This is where all the owners get together. The, you know, the commissioner gets together and they kind of hash through their things about the upcoming season. April 6th, this is when if you hired a new head coach in the offseason, this is when you can actually start bringing your players in um, and doing offseason workout programs. They give you a little bit more time than returning head coaches because obviously you're implanting a new system, you're getting to know everybody, There's, there's a lot to it. So they give those new head coaches a little bit of a window to work within. Uh, and then April 17th, that's the deadline for restricted free agents to sign offer street, uh, offer sheets. So any free agents that are restricted have to have their contracts signed by that date. Uh, and then April 20th is when all 
off-season programs start. So all returning head coaches can then start implementing their system and start working through the, the workout programs and whatnot. Right. And then, of course, the date that everybody's going to be counting down to, the one that most people care about, uh, is April 23rd through the 25th. That's when the NFL draft begins in Vegas. Uh, somebody's diving into that water and swimming up to the uh, swimming up to the podium. I still got. <laughs> oh, it's I, gonna be. I need to put money on that. I got that mo- somebody is doing. That. I got money that they <laughs> ask that the uh, the Patriots ask Gronk to announce one of the picks, and right. he's the one that does it. Right. Then after the draft, uh, April twenty seventh. Beginning this date, NFL clubs may request permission to visit with, try out, or sign any player who was under contract to the XFL at the conclusion of the XFL season. So this is the new date, right? This is a new thing, a new league uh, that obviously runs into the beginning of the football season for the NFL. So right as the season's wrapping up for the XFL, this is when NFL teams can start negotiating with those players. You know what that whole rule tells me? What's that? The NFL is starting to look at the XFL oh, well. as a potential minor league system. Eh, yes and no. I mean, they, they have to put a rule in place because you, you'd have owners down there at any time negotiating with players that they potentially see. But yes, I mean, I, true your point, I think that's just the way it is with any football league. You know, if any football league was going to end. Look, I, I could be wrong. I could be a thousand percent wrong. And you may, you probably know way better than I do. I don't remember a rule like this coming out the first time the XFL came around. I don't. Rem- I don't know. I don't know. I don't know of a rule that sticks around with this with the CFL or yeah. with the Arena Football League. Yeah, but those those leagues end at different times. This one literally ends right as the season's beginning for the NFL. So it, again, it, it's it's to protect the XFL's interest too that they don't have NFL head coaches coming into their league and just plum picking players out in the middle of a postseason yeah. in the middle of a playoff run. But, but that, that kind of so I guess that's what I'm saying. That goes to my point of that they're looking at this as a minor league system for them. Potentially. Be- because of and the that, fact and that, that very well could be the long term plan. They're willing to protect them. Right. We'll see. Uh and then May first to May fourth, this is when clubs may elect to hold their one three day post draft rookie mini uh mini camp from Friday through Sunday or Saturday through Monday. Uh that's just kind of typical what you'd see every year with them. So, again, just some important dates to kind of keep an eye on, some things to look at uh, going up to, like, obviously the franchise tag thing that we talked about, that's going to be huge. Uh, the NFL draft, that's a big thing. Um, and then, obviously, just the, the combine, whether or not that's important to you or not. Some definitely notes, things to pay attention to. Yeah. Uh, I got to bring it up real quick because during that segment, uh, we actually have a viewer that's speaking French. On, oh yeah, on our on our social media on Twitter. I like uh, it. Soba Carmara. Uh, so merci to you. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> that was thank you in French. All right, guys. Time for the liquor stop brew of the week. Hit that button and tell us what we're drinking on today. So this week's brew of the week uh, is one of the drafts they've got up there. It's ten percent off this week. Uh, it comes from LIC Beer Project. Now, this is a, a beer company, brewing company out of New York uh, that is actually just getting into the Baltimore market. This is their American IPA called Humming Dragon. Uh, the hops on this are brewed with Citra, Simcoe, and Eldorado, which we've heard of before. Uh, it's got a malt and, and kind of a, a oat finish. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's pretty good. It, it's a... Uh, 
It's definitely. I don't want to say it has a little bit of a sour note, but it kind of does have a little bit of a sour. Yeah, it's not. Note. It's not over the top of the sour because you know me. I'm not a real. Big you're not a sour guy. Sour beer. We know fan. you're not a sour guy. <laughs> I can tolerate this one. So if you like a mildly sour beer, this is a pretty good one for you. Yeah, it's not. It's not bad at all. Uh, make sure that you also go up there. Uh, Manor Hill Brewing Company, who's out of Ellicott City, Maryland, is actually going to be there on Friday from four to seven. I will be going up. Well, uh, crap. No, I'm, I'm going to be out of town. Uh, I might have to send you up there and give me yeah. some beers, all right? Because uh, they have a few brews that I've wanted to try, so I'm gonna have to get up there. Uh, maybe, maybe even next week, I'll get up there and see if Jerry has some. When is it? Friday? Uh, Friday from four to seven p.m. So kind of the happy hour. They they run that there. They're gonna have that there. Um, and Jerry said to come out. Let them know Birdland BS sent you. Get your ten percent off, and don't forget. They still, Jerry said, we continue to sell them out of Screwball. Good. And it's not just us buying Rightfully it, so, because sure. that stuff is delicious. It is amazing. All right, guys. So we're changing things up this week. We're going to the Shell and Sell segment. What? It's not Turtle Talk? Shell and Sell. Uh, for you guys out there that don't know but have been following the show for a long time, I also do an audio podcast strictly Terps related called Shell and Tell. For if you now. haven't checked it out yet... Make sure you get onto all your social media platforms. Make sure you get onto all your at your your podcast apps of choice. Download the Shell and Tell. Subscribe. Appreciate it if you're a big Terps fan. One of these days, I'll turn Ryan over to the dark side of live. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a it's been a good couple of weeks for the Terps. Really, I mean, it's it's obviously it's been a great year for the Terps as they had a huge win uh, this past Saturday, sixty seven to sixty on the road versus Mich- Michigan State. This coming on the heels of. Something that uh, took the took the breath out of me. It was a game that came down to the line against Nebraska. Took it literally down to the last second for the Terps to hold yeah. on and win that game, seventy-two to seventy. Yeah, that, that one that was one that everybody's holding their breath during because, and you called it. You said this could this had the potential to be a trap game. Yeah, and it almost fell into that. They almost fell into that trap of not being ready for this. Nebraska yeah, team. they play they played down to their competition. In my point, in my opinion, in this game. Um, they, they did some things to try to work some players in as far as bench guys, which I said was important in that game in a game where you should mop the court, uh, the court with them. You need to get some of your bench guys minutes that haven't gotten any minutes. Chol Mariel was a guy who got some minutes in this game. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. We're going to go there for a quick second. <laughs> Sean Mariel has had five minutes in the past three games. Yeah, but it's better than no minutes. And it all came in that one game. (laughs) Yeah, and he needed it. He needs it because if the Terps are going to go into March Madness and really try to make a run, they got to have depth. They have to have more of a rotation than six guys. That that goes to my point. Is five minutes in three games really a rotation and getting Chol in there? No, I mean, like I said, Chol's been battling with his injuries uh, and – Still trying to get up the game speed, so he's putting in the time in the you know in practice. But he's got to get game time. He's got to get game time, and he would have had more minutes in this game had Nebraska not kept it close so long. It took our starters. It took Jalen Smith, Superman himself, flying out of the air out of nowhere to block a last second shot to win yeah. that game. But that's in the past. They won it. It was a Big Ten game. The big win was on the road in East Lansing, beating Michigan State, number 16 ranked team, yeah. 67 to 60. Uh, it, it was a game that kind of it went both ways. You know, they, the Terps jumped out early in this game, got a 15 point lead. We're shooting the lights out in the gym early. Yeah. And then went ice cold. 
Yeah, it was. We were we were actually watching the game at down at uh, the MGM Grand yeah. in National Harbor. Uh, we were there. We were gambling, watching yeah, the game, having a lot of fun, having a good time. Yeah. Uh, and that game at times it was it was a little too close for comfort, especially as you got towards the, that that second, the, you know, the end of the second half there. It was too close for comfort. They got out to a lead there at the end, and they were able to sustain that lead. But at one point. It was going literally back and forth well, as yes. far as who was taking the lead. So the Terps jump out to a 15-point lead. Michigan State starts making their comeback like they traditionally do at the end of the first half and carried that into the second half. Terps went ice cold. Um, and then <laughs> we got down to about three minutes left in this game. Terps trailing. Terps trailing by seven. Michigan State starts smacking the floor like a bunch of cocky assholes. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a pretty good video. <laughs> and that was it. That was enough to push Anthony Cowan and Sticks over the ledge because at that point, Anthony Cowan makes three threes. Jalen Smith makes one. The Terps go on a 14 and nothing run to close out that game and pull out a big victory, 67 to 60. Yeah, and you see you see up in the top corner here, you see Marcel, you know, excited there at the end of the game. He ends the game with the ball. This was a big, big win for this team. I yeah. mean, this is now what, eight straight for them. Yeah. Uh, and it's just it just goes to show you the heart that this team is kind of is kind of putting out there, kind of developing. You know, you talked about Anthony Cowan again for the third time now, he's been named Big Ten player of the week. Twice in the last three weeks. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you the level that he is really playing at. And they also talked about his his streak of games. It's like 124 games that he's played straight. Yeah. This guy, I mean, he's putting up amazing career numbers. And actually, my counterpart on, on Shell and Tell, Ryan, put out a tweet the other day. Does Cowan deserve his jersey lifted into the rafters at Xfinity Center? And I 100% think he does. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. The leadership that he's been able to bring and provide on that team. I know Ryan's had his time throughout his career there that he's been a little frustrated with Cowan at times. Uh, and he does. He's, he can be a streaky, a streaky shooter. But I'll tell you what, the improvement that he's made since Mello left and he's really taken over as the main guy on that team, has been leaps and bounds this year versus what it was last year and what it was the year before. And to your point, you know, Turge had some comments post-game after that Michigan win regarding Cowan and the leadership that he's had on this team and the, his development of this team. Let me tell you a story about Anthony. When I signed Anthony, everybody said I made a mistake. He was an A-10 player, he didn't belong in Maryland. Who was right, Ant? My man. <laughs> It was a really cool moment to see. If you haven't seen that yet, go follow the Terps uh, Twitter page. They put out some videos of Terps talking in the locker room. Uh, that was a clip of him talking to the team, addressing them right after the win. Post-game uh, picture that they put up, two of him and, him and, and Cowan embracing, and it just said family love, and, you know, family heart. And that that's really what it comes down to is when Terps brought him on, he had all the faith in the world that he could coach him. And look, I will say I have been the biggest doubter of Turge's coaching ability but I I kind of am starting to turn that corner when it comes to Cowan here's a guy that to his point everybody was saying couldn't make it yeah it takes a good coach to handle and and help mold this kid and help help him get the 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 mentality and the really for him I think it was confidence and it continues to be building that confidence for him 
But it just goes to start to kind of show you maybe Turch is doing things on the back end that maybe we don't see on the front end of the uh, Yeah, I'd say he has. And that's something that we went into in depth in our show. Yes, and, I, and I went on a rant about this. It's I get sick and tired of all the Turgeon hate. It's it's okay to criticize him at times because there's there's I mean anybody can be criticized for their play or their you know their ability to do things or certain situations and that kind of thing. Go ahead and criticize him for those types of things, but to try to put him down and to make him seem like he's not an effective coach at the collegiate level. This team is 21 and 4 in the Big 10 in one of the best conferences in all of basketball. It doesn't get much better than that. And, you know, like I said in, in, in the Shell and Tell show, they're not Kansas. They're not Kentucky. They're not Duke. They're not going to be these perennial top five schools. They're going to be that tier two, tier three school that occasionally will have a shot in a national title. They will be in the tournament discussion pretty much every year. That's what they've always been. That's what they were with Lefty. That's what they were with with. Uh, Gary, Gary Williams, and that's what they are now with Turgeon. And it's not going to be any different if you bring somebody else in here. You can wish for it all you want, but at the end of the day, appreciate it. Take a breath. Appreciate what this team is doing right now, the job that Turgeon's doing, and the the high that this team is riding on right now. Yeah, and, and you really kind of see that this is something that, that we wind up, you know, we take for granted and – Callen, I think, has been taken for granted. You, you talked about raising his, his, his jersey into the rafters. I mean, let's look at this. He's the fourth player to reach 200 points or 200 career three-pointers. That's impressive. That's up there with, uh, what is it, Juan? Um, uh, what are the other two guys? Gravis uh, Vasquez. Yeah, Gravis Vasquez. And who, who was the other? Who's the third one? Len uh, Bias. Was it? I, I'm not 100% sure. I haven't okay. looked at the stats in a while. But, I mean, listen. Beyond the uh, individual accomplishments that he's had, I think for me, what I really respect about Cowan was some of his post-game conference, uh, comments oh, that he had these, in this. Yeah. So he basically stated, we still ain't won nothing yet. I still don't have a ring. My teammates still don't have a ring. We got work to do. That's, that's what a leader does. Don't get yeah. caught up in the hype. Don't get caught up in the lows. Like Turgeon said in multiple occasions, don't listen to the media. Don't get caught up in the rankings. Don't get caught up in any of the focus on what you can control. That's playing basketball. That's playing together as a team. And we've seen them gel as a team over the last couple of weeks. And they're really playing the best basketball that I've seen all year. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen it all this stretch, this eight game stretch. That they've, you know, you, you and Ryan called it. Since that Nor Northwestern game, we keep going back and harping back to that. That was kind of the turning that point. That was though. the turning point. Every year has that turning point, right? For the Ravens, we talked about it when uh, Lamar Jackson went for it on fourth down in Seattle. That's That was that turning point. Whatever happened at halftime of that Northwestern game, that's when everything changed. But you can't deny some of these facts that are going on with this team right now. No. They're, first, they're in first place in the toughest conference in all of po college basketball in my yeah. opinion agreed they've got the most wins in the nation over top 50 teams they've got two players in sticks and cowan on the wooden award top 20 list Which basically i think it was what the the heisman equivalent basically essentially for best yeah. college basketball player of the year they're seventh in the ap poll seventh in the coaches poll and eighth in ken palm they got a top five defense, top five strength of record, and they're currently projected as a number two overall tourney season. Hmm. I think I said if they continued to win, 
They would move to number two because last week we said they were number three for the tourney. Yeah, it, it's look. Here's the deal: if they if they finish out the win, or finish out the season with one loss or less, meaning they win out or they only lose one, right? I think there is an argument to potentially be made, depending on what ha- happens in the rest of the NCAA. There is an argument to be made. That they should be a number one seed. And they could be. I mean, there's really – listen, the Terps can lose at any given point. We've seen that where they've had some tough teams come in here. They, had North, they went on the road to Northwestern. Northwestern gave them fits in the first half of that game. They had the problems with, with Nebraska recently. They had problems you know, with a couple of teams that they should have waxed the floor with. So to just say that they're going to win out would be a, a bold statement to say that they can. But they can. They and if the they do, they do have the potential to be a number one overall seed. But listen, one game at a time. And I think that's 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 this team's mentality right now. It's not it needs don't, to be. Don't look too far ahead. Again, don't get caught up in all the hoopla and all the stank the stand rankings and, and all that. And that's the thing too, is is because they're because of the way that they're playing and the, the fact that it seems as though they're able to play that one game at a time, that's what's starting to turn the national media's attention right. to the Terps. You know, there was a lot of people that were saying, ah, oh, the Terps have it, but they can't put it together, da, 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 and they continue to do that, continue to do that. And now we've, over the past two weeks, started to see this shift in the national media where you're starting to see people kind of go, Maryland. Yeah. We should kind of start looking at them That's a pretty, pretty... Parquois for for national media. It's just the way they are. Well, it's the same national media that's also going, UNC loses again. Yeah. <laughs> UNC. That ACC is terrible right and, now. Uh, UNC. To see them struggle as bad as Did you hear Roy, Roy Williams Yikes. this week? No. He was cu- he was oh, you know, he was cussing during his press conference. He, he, he said the he dropped the F I was like, ah, 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 I'm sorry. I mean freaking. <laughs> I mean, it was hilarious. Yeah, it is a shit show going on in North Carolina right now. But tonight, uh, the Terps did tip off at 8 o'clock. They're going up against that Northwestern team that I said that they did struggle on the road with. Northwestern, 6-18 and 18 right now. This should be, again, a team that we mop the floor with. This should be a team where we should get those valuable minutes that we talked about with some of the bench guys, Chol Mariel, Tamayic, you know, Lindo, some of these guys that are going to be important role players down the road when they have to go to a eight man rotation or potentially even a nine man rotation, they're going to need it. Yeah. I think one guy that, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, pre-show you and I were talking about a guy that stepped up and we kind of talked about it uh, when we were watching the game. Dante Scott yeah, has really stepped up in the second half of this season. He's been huge. Uh, I didn't know what to expect of him in the beginning of the year. Uh, I, I thought, man, Turge has given this guy a lot of playing time early on in the year, and he didn't – to me, he was sloppy. He was playing out of control, and he still at times plays out of control, especially on the offensive end. But what he provides for this team defensively at giving him that extra size down low, because at this point, he's basically our power forward. Yeah, He's playing that four position. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, for a freshman, he's doing a damn good job, and he just continues to get better week in and week out. I'd like to see the, his evolution next year. I really would, because I, I think yeah. I think if he if he if he bumps up his basketball IQ a little bit more, becomes a little bit smarter in the way that he plays, he gets coached a little bit better. I think he's got some strong potential, but it, it, just the way that he's kind of come on, like you said, I I wasn't anticipating the beginning of the year. I'm like, eh, who's this guy? Like, he's not really doing well. Why is he in there? 
And now you're starting to see the trust that Turge is built by continuing to put. I mean, it's been. Well, he's also out of options, too. <laughs> he's well, got to play somebody. Even when he had the twins, he was still starting Scott over the twins. Yeah, no, that's true. And that just shows the faith that he's having in Scott to be able to kind of say, look, you need to step up. You need to play a little bit harder. And I, I'm quite impressed to this point. Well, Northwestern, like I said, should be a pretty easy win. Uh, Sunday, though. They go back on the road. They go to Ohio State, who Ohio State right now is 17-8. and eight. Uh, This is a team that, you know, at times has played really, really good basketball. They've got a couple of really good players, uh, the Wesson brothers, yeah. especially Caleb Wesson. Uh, this dude is a monster. Oh, I was going to ask you about him. So is if you're – all right, put yourself in Turge's shoes. You're in Turge's shoes. Is your game plan simply to stop Caleb Wesson? Because that's, you know, you have his brother who does pretty well, but Wesson – Caleb is just off the charts is the way he's playing for Ohio State. He's their top scorer. He's their top rebounder. Is it just to stop him? And then, you know, you kind of play the double team game on him in this game? No, nah, I mean, listen, this team, what's what's been their thing that you can actually hang your hat on has been their defensive play as a team, right? It hasn't been about shutting down one individual. It's playing good team defense, rotating to the ball handler, getting to the ball handler, contesting shots, not letting anybody getting a clean shots off. And that's what this team's done good. Lately, we've seen them switch in the middle of games back and forth between this man coverage and zone coverage. And that's really caused a lot of confusion for teams because early on in the year, zone was non-existent for this Maryland team. They were only running man coverage, so right. or, you know man-to-man defense. So seeing them bring this zone defense in, seeing the confidence in the team plays with it, has been a huge difference maker for them. So I don't think that the, oh, I don't think the Terps are going to focus in on Caleb per se. I just think if they continue to do what they've been doing naturally, it'll take care of itself just as much in that Michigan State game as it took care of getting rid of Cassius Winston. Right. Cassius Winston was nowhere near as effective as he's been in the past. So, again, the key to this Terps team from here on out is going to be continuing to develop the depth and keeping Chol Mariel out of foul trouble. Or Chol Mariel. (laughs) Keeping (laughs) Sticks out of out of foul trouble. All right, Scott, it's time for a social media shout out, man. Who do we got out on social media? I know I've seen a bunch of names in there. A lot of new names, which is great. Scott uh, Zamodio, Zamudo, Zamito. Yeah, so all right, so we're not gonna do that. We got you James. Just gotta do it. We got James. We got Sam. We got Josh. Uh, some of the regular viewers. Uh, Scott Zamudio, Zamudio. We'll there we go. Garnett. What's uh, up, man? Jay Will. See you out there too. Jared Tedeschi over on Twitter. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate Josh you Walker. In. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, I'm sure that's Ryan out of the shell and tell page. If it's not me, it better be Ryan anyway. Uh, I got to address uh, Joe Carlozo. Jared Jared chimed in and said, imagine if the Ravens have Brady, y'all would have been champs. I'm guessing he's a Brady a Brady fan or a, you know a New England fan. Uh, no, no, <laughs> we don't do that here. Garnett says, I would not pay for Clowney if I can't get a complimentary edge with him. Uh, yeah. I that's a fair statement. I would I would I would agree with that. I agree with that too. Cuz I th- I don't think we, I think we've proven that that uh He we, also says he's not a me guy Fred. Also, he's the most disruptive player available, but you can't just look at the sack numbers with him. And I agree with that. And that's not what I'm saying. When I was bringing up the sack numbers, it's more so you have to have something to counter counteract the fact that he's 
had some injury issues. You have to take that into consideration, right? So is the risk worth it when you're looking at a player who's had that injury history? So something about him has to jump off the off the page. Is he a very disruptive player, one of the most disruptive players in the NFL? Absolutely. The total package, run stuffing, and he's great at, at, at pass rushing. But I just... For the money that he's going to demand, I'd rather see that allocated towards two more middle-of-the-road pass rushers because one pass rusher, yes, it makes a difference, but it's not what this team needs, especially if we're going to lose Judon. It's basically a little bit of a gain there, losing Judon and gaining Clowney. Yeah, it's it's. I get your point. It's kind of a push in that sense, so it really is. Uh, Justin also chimed in at the end there. He he loves the new name for the Turk segment. <laughs> Shell appreciate Shell. it, man. Go check out Shell and Tell podcast. Make sure you check it out. That's Fred and Ryan. They do that. Uh, you guys do it what? Uh, bi bi monthly, so bi weekly, bi weekly, bi monthly. Christ, we never do a show. <laughs> <laughs> bi weekly. Uh, as football season gets you know closer to you know getting going and all that stuff, we might do a little bit more. It just kind of depends on the season. But right now, it's bi-weekly. All right, go check it out. All right, Scott, it's time for some bros, bows, and O's. And, yes, this is our Orioles section. And yes, this is our baseball <laughs> section. So for you non-baseball fans out there, good night. We'll see you guys next week. Unless you want to hear about the Astros. Then we're going to get into <laughs> and that. And that, that's kind of what I was going to say. That this, this segment – Yes, it's about the O's, and we're going to talk about some things about the O's. But, man, I think the center of focus on this show for this for this segment's got to be the shit show that is Houston right now well, and everything that's kind of going on well, with it. Before we get into that, that, that sh- show, let's get into the <laughs> show that is the rebuild of the Orioles. Uh, we, we saw some moves that happened this week. Uh, we see them go out. They signed uh, Tommy Malone, yeah. who's a left-handed pitcher, came from Seattle. Uh, actually, Honestly, had good numbers against the Orioles when he when he faced us uh, last year. So does everybody else. <laughs> this is true. Well, no, we, we did score a lot of runs. Let's not let's not forget that last year. Yeah. It was our pitching staff that didn't do well. Uh, but he's fifty and forty seven with a four four seventy RA and nine seasons in the majors. He's thirty three years old. Gets the the minor league contract in the spring invite. So obviously no no you know no commitment there. But one of the things. I have to look at and, and I have to ask you, do you have faith that we will not see guys that are already in the system rush to the majors just fill roster spots with these moves? Because we've seen a lot of these. We've seen several of these. Oh, I think we've seen five in the past month and a half where they've gone out and got these pitchers that are, you know, they're major league pitchers. They're, you sign into a minor league contract. To me, it's a way to fill roster spots. Well, I mean, Mike Elias made some comments a few weeks ago that they were in the market trying to get as many minor league contract pitchers and major league contract pitchers on on the roster as they possibly could. Uh, didn't get very many, but he, then he followed that up with, "That's I think he's pretty much done. Unless the right deal comes along, they're not going to be signing anybody beyond this date because it just puts too much stress on a pitcher to get ready uh, for the season opener, and they don't want to invest money in somebody that's not going to be available day one. So, right. I, you know, listen, the Tommy Malone, it's just, it's a depth move. It's another arm to put in there in the competition it's, because it's a mimic of Wade LeBlanc, is what it is. Yeah. I mean, look, they're just trying to figure out ways, like you said, to kind of protect some of their younger arms, maybe getting exposed a little too early. But, like I said, you don't have to worry about all the arms, the future arms that are at the single A level or even double A level, even seeing 
the the major leagues at any point this year, regardless of what happens. There's no fear in those guys being rushed through the system too fast. Are there some guys at the AAA level that I'd like to see this year? Yes, and that's regardless of who we bring in or who we don't bring in because you do want to start getting some of those guys that have worked their way up through the system, get them some experience and get them some playing time to see what you've got to know, all right, well, if we've got a couple guys here at the AAA level, we got a couple guys going at the minor league levels that are gonna, that we project right. to be major league pitchers. Well, it gets we're you, not as bad as we thought. It gets you, you know, if you have. I guess my my thought is, if you have this depth here, so to speak, you know, a lot of these guys, I think that you're signing to minor league contracts, it gives you the ability to start them on the major league roster, and then when it comes time for you to say, eh, I want to see some other guys, you can send them down. That's the ability of a yeah. minor league contract. By signing to a major league, you're committed to keeping them in the majors pretty much the entire year. Right. So the minor league contract provides you, gives that you flexibility, the flexibility to yep. go up and down. Um, I, <laughs> we talked last year about the you know the bus to Norfolk. That bus is going to be pretty full this year. Oh yeah. It's Hopefully they invested in an electric bus this uh, year. <laughs> Save some money on gas. Did you see? Did you see the uh, the caravan? By the way, this week it, they put not. out the statistics: like 513 miles traveled by that that bus really? that was going around town. I, I liked, liked it. I liked it. I was for it. I hope they do it again next year, and I hope they stop at more places. I, I think they do. I think they do. I really think they do. I think they make a longer span as yeah. well. I think they go. You know, they start in December and go on. But I, I think my point with saying that is. is that bus to Norfolk and back, yeah. it's going to get a lot more mileage this year. It's well, hopefully, hopefully that bus continues to go from Norfolk to Baltimore because I know a lot of fans are out there worried about the potential of the Orioles leaving Baltimore. But I know you had heard some comments by the commissioner that might have put things at ease with that. I think, yeah, I think... You know, Manfred w was quoted this week, and he had a huge press conference, not just addressing the Orioles, but he was asked about the Orioles, um, you know, saying, you see the future. He apparently, supposedly, these are his words, he has spent quite a bit, and I'm quoting that, quite a bit of time with the Angelos family. Interesting that he said Angelos family and not Peter Angelos. It's a clear indication that this has moved away from Peter Angelos into the family, to the brothers mainly. Um yeah, I, I don't sons. think Peter Angelos has anything to do with anything anymore. It's just, yeah, it's it's sad situation for him. I mean, obviously, I've I've gone through watching a family member go through that. It's it's rough. Yeah, and I think you know he says he spent a lot of time with them. He he feels that, that they have a great, they have the Baltimore's best interest at heart. They are willing, you know, willing to do what it takes to to get themselves in a better competitive position. Uh, which was, you know, it was nice to hear. Interesting comments that he also made regarding the mass, and he was asked about the mass in dispute. Yeah. Um, and he said that he really hopes that the mass in back payments are paid up, by the way, those are from the Orioles, mm -hmm. uh, so that they can get past this and the teams can move on and they can set up independent, regular, you know, contracts for Masson with these. So, I thought that was interesting that, that Manfred got involved in that statement because we've already heard from the U.S. government who says you owe the money, despite every Orioles fan that I know completely disagreeing. Yeah, with despite it. the contract that the Nationals signed to move to Washington. Yeah, I, 
Yeah. I still I still have a, a question in the back of my head if the Orioles try to take this to to the Supreme Court. Yeah. I, I really I really question that if that may be their motive behind not getting those payments there. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting that he talks about the Angels family, he talks about the hope, and then he goes straight into you know being asked a question about Mass and the dispute. Uh, and he handled it well. You know he wants to see it move on as we all do. Uh, but I, I just. The back payments and arrears thing and not saying like, well, a contract's a contract. Right. You know, I, I thought it was quite interesting. So, well, staying with a theme here, we got one, we got a team and an organization that we want to stay in Baltimore. <laughs> well, we've got a player <laughs> that I think everybody, including us, would like to see leave Baltimore. <laughs> That's Chris Davis, and you know we talk about him all the time, and we talk about where haven't we talked about him enough? <laughs> when's the clock gonna run out on this guy? When's enough enough? And you know they had him in an interview uh, down in spring training, and he had some interesting comments uh, about his off season. He had actually said that during the off season he talked to his wife uh, about potentially walking away from the game, retiring, yeah but that he still thinks he has enough left in the tank and he wants to evaluate where he is at the end of this year before he makes that decision. Is that just personal pride at this point? I don't think it's personal pride. I think it's payday, man. I mean, like the money he gets is paid either the way. money. I, I guess that's true. The money is what it is. I don't know, man. I, I just, he, I can't see any benefit. Listen, this guy is just this. <laughs> he has fallen completely off the cliff statistically year after year after year since he signed that deal to an ultimate low past we we renamed the Mendoza line to the Chris Davis line right like that's how bad it's gotten you want a perfect segue because your old co-host Matt Talley just gave it to you he says no never keep him forever 25 pounds of muscle baby 25 pounds <laughs> of muscle in like four months hmm how does that happen <laughs> He's back on the steroids. Speaking of <laughs> cheating, I don't know. Just my opinion. 25 oh my pounds God. of solid muscle in a couple of months. Just beat him with a stick. Somebody needs to get, get him to piss into a cup. Maybe that'll get him the hell out of here. <laughs> well, no, it, it, that, but we bring that up because he said that like he, he went through a whole analysis and that he they they questioned why he lost weight. And he said, well, you know, as I got older, I thought I needed to lose the weight to stay, you know, to be able to stay healthy and be able to stay good. And they were like, you know, apparently they told him, no, you should have kept on that weight so that you can, you know, you can actually have the, the muscle. Yeah, you have the muscle ability, but by changing your weight, you're changing your swing pattern, your swing path. That's his whole argument behind why he sucked. Yeah, but then in that same statement, he talked about like how coaches and and you know trainers and stuff have been trying to get him to to change his approach at the plate and train. And he made a, a basically a statement. I'm not going to quote him here because it was just kind of general as to what he said. But he's like, I'm not going to change anything at this point in my career. I'm thirty That's something. Exactly what he said. I'm thirty something years. I'm thirty something <laughs> years old. You know, at this point, I'm not making any changes. Well, what the fuck good are you? I mean, we've seen this now for three years, how terrible he is. Why? Why do we have have to be subjected to this anymore? Why are we blocking another player, a potential player who's going to be a part of this future? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree. But speaking uh, of things that we've man. seen for the past three years, huh. the Astros are cheating. Yeah. <laughs> the side stealing. Let's get into this. Let's oh, dive man. head first. Let's go. So... A lot of players have started showing up to spring training this past week 
They're getting interviewed. They're being asked about the Astros. We've got some big stars, some big names that are coming out and making comments and questioning Rob Manford and his his you know decision making. Mike Trout says you know something along the lines of you know look, I think that it's ridiculous if I w- if I knew what pitch was coming. Can you imagine how much better I'd be? Basically, is what he said. Right. You know this is talking. You're talking about the best player. I- I- I'm going to say hands down. I, there's no argument to me. You want to try to make an argument, go ahead. But Mike Trout is the best player in all of baseball. I, I think Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers, who the Dodgers <laughs> actually lost to the Houston Astros in the World Series, Cody Bellinger had some of the strongest comments of all. I thought the apologies were whatever. Uh, I thought Jim Cranes was weak. Um, I thought Manfred's punishment was weak, giving him immunity. Weak. Um, I mean, these guys were cheating for three years. Um, you know, I think what people don't realize is Altuve stole an MVP from Judge in 17. Um, everyone knows they stole the ring from us. I know personally I lost respect for those guys. Um, I think I would say everyone in the show, in the big leagues, lost respect for those guys. I don't know what human hits a walk-off home run against Raldis Chapman to send your team to the World Series. And one has the thought to say, don't rip my jersey off, but two, go in the tunnel, change your shirt, and then come out and do your interview. Like, that that makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> those are some strong words on yeah. all fronts there. What's your take on the whole sign-stealing situation like i mean do you think the punishment was severe enough do you think the players should be reprimanded for their partaking in it so what's your thought so my thought is exactly that um i think the punishment to the organization the more i thought about at first i was against it at first i didn't think it was enough and i kind of said okay you know it's it, it still is not enough but then the fact that no players, there were multiple players that were were directly referenced yeah. in this whole scheme. Not one is given any penalty. And I think that, that the players, like Cody Bellinger, have a legitimate gripe here. Yeah. I mean, what happens if you if you fail a drug test, a PED drug test? PEDs, great. Performance-enhancing drugs, great. You can hit the ball farther and harder. Gives you a competitive you st- advantage. You still have to hit the ball, right? Right. You you don't know what's coming. You don't know if it's curveball or fastball. It's look. It's to me. There's an equivalency here. It's not far off from taking PEDs, and I think that's where the player's argument is absolutely justified. I think Cody Bellinger makes it makes sense. I think he makes a great point in that. Well, I, I agree with you. But the problem is, and Matt just brought this up too, and he took basically my thunder on this as well. The players, the the problem was the commissioner. The players were offered uh, immunity for information on this. Like that's that's where the players get off scot free. Is that the commissioner made this decision to give them immunity by just providing us with information? So of course the players are going to come too because oh, they don't everything. want to lose a contract. They don't want to yeah. lose their you know their pay or anything like that. Well, that so. That's where I think Cody Bellinger it, it makes a, it makes a great comment. And you know what? It's all these all the players. You know, Cody Bellinger had some strong comments, but after Cody Bellinger's comments, we don't have the audio. But Carlos Correa 
had some strong words at Cody Bellinger, yeah. basically saying, you know, dude, you can e- you can either if you don't have all the facts, you can shut the f up. Yep. And the thing with that is, is I think you Darvish, who was in, you know, also on the Dodgers. He was interviewed after that, and you know, the, looking at the comments of and Carlos Correa, and he basically said, "Look, these guys don't have a right to talk. Right? You don't have a right to tell us to shut up." And I think that there are some comments, and and there's comments from a former Oriole that I think we have to get into. Cakes was interviewed this week. Take a listen to what Cakes had to say about this the coming whole from Nick Markakis, a guy. If you remember the when he was here, guy the quietest guy picked his battles very wisely when he would speak up. It angers you, um, especially from a guy who has played the game the right way his whole career. Um, no shortcuts. Um, I know how hard this game is. I know how hard uh, preparing for this game is. And to uh, um, to see something like that, it's, it's, it's damaging to baseball. Um, you know, it, it's anger. Uh, I feel like every single guy over there needs a beating. Wait a minute. Yes. Every Nick, player over there needs a beating. Nick Markakis just told you every player needs what, a beating. What kind of beating. beating are we talking about? Are we talking about like bending him over our knee and smacking him on the ass like a kid? Or are we talking about beating him up in an alley like a, you know? It's Nick Markakis. If he's saying it's a beating, you can the ass beat. Listen, <laughs> for me, this you is kind of. You get beat. This is where it crosses lines for me. <sighs> Do I agree with what the Astros did? Absolutely not. Do I think that they deserved harsher punishment? Absolutely. But I think this whole situation is being more overblown than it needs to be, in my opinion. And the reason I say that is because sign stealing has been going on forever. I mean, it's been going on since before cameras were everything. It was before baseball was even televised. Like, Sign stealing has been going on forever. There are ways, pretty simple ways of changing up the approach from a team standpoint, meaning, you know, changing up signs instead of just delivering one signal signs when people, when players aren't on base, changing it up to multiple signals and changing that from inning to inning so that people can't pick up on patterns on things. Because right now you have to, as a team, as an organization, you have to evolve around technology, right? Technology is what made all this possible. It's the monitors in the clubhouse. It's, you know, somebody outside out in the camera with a camera out in center field, you know, filming everything and then the players just translating that with a damn trash can well if you're out there and you're changing up signals on an inning to inning basis and the teams can't pick up on it it eliminates that right so there are easy ways to get rid of this now like i said i don't agree with what they did and i think that they the punishment has not been harsh enough but i just think the media outlash that this is getting and all this back and forth shit, it's just it's it's overblown in my opinion. But here's so here's my thought behind it, and I'm not trying to equate this by any means, but the issue that the players have, it seems to be more directed. Yes, it is at the team, and it's it's at the team because there's it's those unwritten rules in baseball. You, you here's the line: don't cross it, mm-hmm. kind of thing. You cross the line by taking it, you know. Yes, yeah, sign stealing happens. I I get it. I understand it. You're on second base. You do it. Yeah. That's the old school way. 
You took it too far by putting a camera in center field. You got a player on second base stealing signs? I get that, but what I'm saying, uh, what I'm saying is the media that technology wasn't available before, it is now. So now you have to evolve to that. You got to do things to be proactive so that that doesn't matter. Put all the cameras that you want out there. If I'm changing signs, me as a catcher, right? If I'm changing up signs and I stop the one signal, one finger signals and I start giving right, up multiple a, signals, I, you know I caught two. Yeah. How many different sets of signs did you have to do go and do and go through during a game or during it? Yeah, the week? and that's a conversation that you have with your pitcher before they go on the mound or have with your mm-hmm. pitcher in the dugout before they go back out. Right. But my point is now you have to go, shit, what's the sign this inning? Shit, what's the sign for this pitcher this that. inning? That, that takes it to a completely different level. And I think what the argument here from a lot of players, and it's really valid, and we're going to get into it from Nick Marcakis, is there were players' careers as pitchers that were put on the line. Oh, 100%. That you do not see in the majors because they got nailed off the Astros. I 100% agree with you. And I do think, like I said, the players were not given harsh enough suspensions for it. Uh, and I do think that, you know, ultimately the Major League Baseball is just trying to brush this under oh, the rug. Oh, Fred Manfred. Well, that's that's the whole point. Everybody that's talking, there's a ton of people talking about immunity on social media. Here's the line that was crossed. Immunity should have never been offered. It should have never been it an should, option. It should have been. Do your look, due diligence. Do your you, own investigation. Don't offer immunity to take no, the easy well, way out. It should have been. Look, if you do not cooperate with our investigation, you are in direct violation of the, the agreement with the Players Association. And at that point, your contract can be null and void. There is no immunity. The immunity is you tell us the truth. And if we find out otherwise, you're done. Your contract is done. Right. MLB actually holds the contract over on all these teams. That's my thing. But let's kind of finish out. I want to hear, I want to let everybody hear the last bit of Nick Marquez's comments because it has to do with what we were just talking about and players that were affected. Um, you know, it's, it's wrong. They're messing with people's careers. Um, you know, I know we're all competitive and we're all, we're out there competing, but there's, right ways to do it and wrong ways to do it and uh i 100% disagree with the way they did it um you know there's a lot of people uh, that were hurt by it um and it was wrong and I, I think the punishment and everything i think just everything has been taken everything's been handled the wrong way um you know you got two guys that are sitting at home that you can kind of you know, give them a little bit of leeway, um, and they're not—they're not in the game right now. And then you got uh, the players who did it, who are, are scot free. Yeah, and I mean, he's—he's he's not wrong. He's absolutely right. I just, like I said, I think there's ways to mitigate this and ways to get around it. I don't just—I'm not justifying it, saying that they were right in doing it, but cheating. Science stealing is cheating, regardless if it was the old school way. If you're doing it out at second base, it's against the rules and you're doing it right. It's just media and technology has allowed it to be easier. So if you want to do well, away, hold, on, hold, hold on. on, I'm just saying if you want to do away with it from the game, I'm not justifying again. I'm not justifying anything on. that they did. But if you want to get rid of it, there's ways to get I'm rid of it. I'm going to obliterate your argument here because technology has nothing to do with it. If if you want to talk, if you want to make that argument. Back in the 80s, you could have stuck a, a camera out in center field, a, a video camera. They could have had a live feed pushing into the dugout. It's the same thing. You could have done the same thing in the 80s yeah. that you're doing now. It's just 
Not easier. With, there's been stuff with iWatches and all kinds of stuff, buzzers and things. I'm not just talking about the monitor. Right. There's other forms of technology that have been kind of used but, in cheating. But Matt, you, you know, Matt brings up a good point. He says, bad take, Fred. People versus people is one thing. Adding technology is horse ass. I 100% agree with that statement. I'm not, look, what I'm saying is, <laughs> I think you guys are misunderstanding what I'm saying. I'm not saying adding the technology is the right thing but to you're do. you're making technology the excuse. No, technology makes it easier. It's all I'm saying. Technology has made that, like, back in the 60s, back in the 50s, when science stealing was going on, they didn't have this technology to be able to do it. easier to hide. To be able to do it. Yes. Yes. That's my point, right? So, if you know that, it's not like this is a surprise. Like you said, these are things that should have been implemented back in the 80s when somebody could have very easily done this with a live feed to the to the dugout with, right. a, with a monitor. Very easily could have been done. So if back in the 80s you knew that this was a potential opportunity, why weren't you taking steps, like, steps I, I to change here. things? That's all I'm saying. Not justifying what they did. What they did was complete horseshit and was completely wrong. I'm just saying this could have been taken care of years ago. Interesting out of all the, you know, all the players, one of the comments that I thought was interesting, Sale actually commented that... You know, it, it's time to move on, time to move forward. Uh, you know, and kind of kind of to your point, it's we, we need to move on. We need to move forward. I think what, what the, a lot of the players problem is really revolves around Manfred. I think we hear and we see a lot of people saying they're going to retaliate. And I, yeah. I expect a lot of retaliation. That was going to be my question. Do you think there's going to be a lot of retaliation? Because even Manfred did come out and say that they will not tolerate anything, anybody throwing at Astros players or any other team for that matter. Um, I, dude, I, I just I can't imagine okay, teams then, just gonna let this go then, to bed. Then, then what my then what my statement to Matt, Rob Manfred if I if he was standing right in front of me was would be how are you gonna change baseball with players getting hit because you cannot say if you're gonna let it happen versus the Yankees and the Yankees Orioles because it's a, a feud going on but you're not gonna let it happen because you're trying to protect the Astros players that really basically slighted all of baseball right. Look, there's no way you can protect them without looking bias. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the XFL. <laughs> it was a lot of fun watching the XFL this weekend. Listen, I <laughs> I'm bought in at this point. Is yeah. the is is the quality of play there comparable to the NFL? Absolutely no. No league that exists now or no league that has come along has ever been comparable to the X or to the NFL in in just quality. It's, it's a step up from it's a step like in a different I shouldn't say step up. I'll say a step in a different direction from the college football. Yeah. It's 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 a lot of fun. Uh watching <laughs> Watching some of these new rules be implemented and some of these differences, like I said, we talked about it last week, all the differences with the transparency, with the the replay, the extra points. Just There's so much about this game that's entertaining, and I think we got to see some of the players get a little bit more comfortable into their offensive systems, get a little bit more relaxed into, you know, into the league and the style of play and everything, and we saw some guys actually making some plays out there on the field this week. Yeah, we definitely saw some first. We saw the first three-point conversion, yeah. uh, which 
I mean, the LA Wildcats did it, but it was off of the five yard line instead of the ten because there was a twelve men on the field penalty during right. the, during the extra point. But hey, it was it was a pretty solid play. They were able to get the extra three points. Uh, a lot of teams have actually struggled, which is the interesting thing. A lot of teams have struggled with the one and two point conversions. So going from the, I think it's the one and the five yard line, they've struggled. Now we have a team that is able to get the three-point conversion. makes it a completely different game when it comes yeah. to that. The other first that we saw this week kind of looked like a Wildcat-style offense. You know, flea flicker. It, but it, instead of the pass going backwards, it goes forward. So it's a double forward pass. Right. It's basically a forward flea flicker. Yeah. That's what it is. It ain't like you're throwing the ball 20 yards down the field, and then he's able to throw it another 20. Right. And that ain't happening. Right. You can throw it behind a li- forward behind the line of scrimmage and then throw it forward past the line of scrimmage uh, is how the rule works. But we see both those first this week. Yep. Um, the other thing that was really interesting, Seattle, you know, one of the, you know, it's only eight, eight different teams, right. eight different locations. Seattle's attendance this week. Something like twenty nine, almost thirty thousand people. Yeah, they said it was almost ten percent of an increase over the week one high, which is the debut week, a season opener. It's impressive. Week two goes up to twenty nine thousand, a ten percent increase. That's that's pretty impressive for a league that you know I don't think many people have very high expectations for. But I don't know. I I think with the financial backing that this league has with Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon's got a ton of money. I think this this league could finally substantiate and actually be around for the future. I mean, let's be real. Twenty nine thousand fills the bottom two, the bottom two, two to three rows or or, uh, levels Mm -hmm. of an NFL stadium. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And look, right now, most teams are playing in soccer stadiums right now. So 29,000 right. fans. It almost basically packs, it out. packs the house. Yeah. Right. But we also got to see a, a very good game, in my opinion, the C, uh, St. Louis Battlehawks and the Houston Roughnecks in this game. Uh, Houston ended up winning this game on a late interception, 28 to 24. But I got to see two quarterbacks, which the quarterback play in this league so far has been pretty suspect. But we had two quarterbacks in this game do. Some pretty amazing things. One, if you look up in the uh, the the GIF that we have there, almost Lamar Jackson or Pat Mahomes esque <laughs> type sidearm touchdown throw. That was pretty amazing. That was PJ Walker, uh, the Houston quarterback. He um he went twenty of thirty one for one hundred and seventy yards. He had three touchdowns, four carries for twenty seven yards in this game. Played a really really good game in this in, in this game. Carried them to the victory and uh, I mean, did enough. Is that NFL numbers? I mean, it's. It's comparable, yeah. so to speak. You know, would he be do well in the NFL? Maybe it's a backup. We saw Lamar throw backup. for 170 yards in a couple of games and win those games handedly. So, you know, the numbers can be sustainable. The last thing you want to do is just you want to eliminate the mistakes, right? Uh, and then St. Louis's quarterback in this game, outside of the late interception that he had in this game, had a really good game. Jordan as Ta- Tamu or Tamu Tamu Tamu, 30 of 37 in this game. 80% completion percentage, three or 284 yards, three touchdowns, and he had the two interceptions, but he also had eight carries for 32 yards and a touchdown. He had a big game in this game as well. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the way, the, you know, the numbers that these guys are putting up, look, it, it, is it a minor league style system? Yes, it, it really is. But, you know, they're not playing against top tier players, but they're playing against guys that, you know, have had shots in the NFL, guys that played well in college football. Um, 
I think this just overall, you know, the early season outlook is is looking good for a lot of these guys. Yeah. Another guy that th- you got to throw out there is a guy that did have a chance in the NFL, in Cardell Jones. Yeah, this this kid for me, I mean, you know me, I'm an Ohio State fan, so I got a little <laughs> a little <laughs> You're just a little this. bit biased. Yeah, a little, a little biased bit. for this guy, but I think personally right now he's the early season candidate for MVP of the league. I mean, it's only 2 weeks in, I get that, but the numbers that he's putting up uh Are impressive. Pretty impressive. They go into New York, shut the New York uh what is it? The Guardians, I think. Guardi- yeah, something like out that. twenty-seven to nothing. They're now two and zero in the year. Jones was twenty-three of thirty-seven, two hundred and seventy-six yards, two touchdowns. He did have the interception, uh, but he was the one involved in that yeah. first forward double pass. Yeah, I mean it was a little like he, he was a little shovel pass forward. The uh, the uh, wide receiver comes out to the right, uh, throws it back to Cardell, and Cardell throws it down for the touchdown. Or I'm sorry, not a touchdown. It was for a uh, I think it was a forty-yard uh, progression there. It, so. It, it was it was pretty impressive to see. It was literally a flea flicker. It was just a forward instead of a backward pass. Yeah. Only difference that you saw there. Um, I think you you see that come into play maybe when they do like you know y- you line up and you throw it out to your wide receiver who then throws it back and yeah. then you go across the other side of the field. Uh, but I, the double forward pass is literally just a flea flicker. So we probably won't talk about the XFL again until probably playoff time. This will be the last week, but I, I just I wanted to at least give it a run for the first two weeks, give it a chance to see like early opinions, early thoughts on it. I've kind of told you my take on it. I like it. I think it's here to stay for a while. What's your prediction? Do you think it stays for a while, so, or is it just like everything else? There's there's word of, of them being underwater already in money, which you in any few you know in any endeavor you expect to be underwater for the first few years. Right. It, it's any it's business how it works um unfortunately most of these football conglomerates don't last a couple of years agree we saw that with arena football league who's now done right um i honestly think if the and i said this last week i really and the rule is what intrigued me the rule that we talked about earlier with the nfl yeah uh regarding the xfl is what intrigues me i i really wonder if they don't invest in it somehow, if the NFL doesn't invest and it, it, to me, it would behoove them to invest I do, because it will I allow agree. some of these college players that maybe don't get into the ranks. It will allow them to go develop themselves and then move in and go, okay, now it's basically practice squads. And it's guys that if you're, if you keep the same timeline that it has now, these guys could wind up walking away with NFL contracts after just one season of playing in the XFL. Yeah. And it allows you to also play around with different ideas of of uh rules. Right. You know, some of these rules, I think I think the XFL might have something in the kickoff rule. I mean, we'll see. I mean, the NFL went down this road before with the whole NFL Europe thing that was kind of like their minor yeah, league system. Was, I mean, th- but that was across the pond. It was completely different. It was a completely different set of players, set of guys. You're still pulling now from the same set of guys. That was pulling from a completely different set I of just, guys. I wonder from a fan base perspective, right? All these all these cities that have XFL teams right now also have NFL teams, right? I understand that we all love football as football fans, right? But watching it year round, year after year after year, does it tend to just fall off and then it can't fund itself, right? Because the viewership isn't there. Right now, people are excited because, hey, football in the offseason, cool, I get to watch something, and it's new, and all the shit show that it was the first time, what can we expect this time? Like, there's a lot of hoopla going around it, 
but maybe give it six, you know, another year from now, do fans have that same interest that they had in the beginning? We'll see. Ladies and <laughs> there it is. You took the uh, two-minute warning intro away. <laughs> no, I moved it. Oh. And now it's time for the two-minute warning. All right, Hi, Fred. Scott. It's time, buddy. It's time for the two-minute warning. We got two questions. You're going to ask first one. I'm going to ask the second one All once right. we're in it. I can do that. All right. What's your first question? All right. So if you haven't seen this yet, uh, I don't even know if I should tell you. Give me chills before you I, can talk about I, I, it. I don't even know if I should tell you to look it up because, I mean, it's 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 brutal. Uh, the Daytona 500 ran yesterday after it was delayed uh, on Sunday. Because of rain, yeah. Because of rain. Ended up finishing with yet another scary finish at the line. Uh, and, and we've seen these massive wrecks now at the end of races over the last decade. My question is, with all the advancements in safety devices and technology over that time, do you think guys are taking more risks and chances on the track than in years past? I think my answer here is yes. Uh, you know, And you talk about over the last decade. It's really over the last two decades. Dale Earnhardt, 19 years to the day today, died on Daytona. It's it's there's been a lot of advancements, but because of that, I think some of these guys being are being more aggressive. You saw the bump and runs. I watched the entire race, and even my wife was sitting there going, "They're hitting each other a lot," and I'm going, "There's a lot of bumping going on in this race." What changed NASCAR was restrictor plate racing. True, restrictor plate racing made these cars too equal. And they're too cluttered together. There's no competitive advantage that you have from one manufacturer to another manufacturer. All the safety devices are great. And that's a big reason why Ryan Newman was able to walk, not walk away, but able to survive that accident. Uh, it was pretty brutal. Yeah. All right. So the second question, former Michigan bas basketball head coach John Bayline is set to walk away from the Cleveland Cavaliers in his first year of the job. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, it's the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> I'd walk away if I were him, too. No, in all seriousness, it's been it's been bad. Uh, the players and the coach just have not gotten along, haven't been on the same page. Uh, I think Bayline is being a uh, a bigger person here because not only is he just walking away from this team, but it's not like baseball. That money's not guaranteed. He's right. walking away from a lot of money on a big contract. Yeah, I mean, you look at this. It's We really have not seen – John Payline was the one guy that we thought we'd see that maybe that transition. We've really struggled to see a transition of head coaches be able to make that leap from the college from the college basketball ranks up into the NBA and be able to coach some of these guys and Agreed. you think it would be you think it'd be easy because you'd be oh I'd be able I coach guys like this especially these rookies but you're dealing with big personalities you know out there in Cleveland you're dealing with a lot of guys uh, I think Kevin Love's still out there yeah. you're you're dealing with a lot of guys that have big personalities and I'm honestly not surprised completely agree all right Scott sign us out of here man all right man we appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week Make sure you check us out on our website, www.birdlandbs.com. While you're there, check out all of our episodes. Make sure you learn about us. And don't forget that Birdland BS gear, baby. Go get yourself some if you That's don't right. already have some. Make sure you also check us out on BigPlay.com, BigPlay Twitter page, and download the BigPlay app. 
We're also on BirdlandSports.com. Probably going to be doing uh, some some collaboration with them here at some point. I'm sure we will. Make sure you also check us out all over our social media pages. Obviously, just search at BirdlandBS. You'll be able to find us. If you want to look for us specifically on Twitter, you can find Fred at FredBLBS, at ScottBLBS, and he's not here, but we'll show you at Bartender underscore Blake. See, he's Where's out the, the door. Where's the studio? He's out the door. That's all it is, Where's man. the bar? He is out the door. That's all it is. Make sure you, if you want your opinion or topic heard on the show, use the hashtag that's BLBS. We'll bring it up on the show. We appreciate all you guys in the chat room each and every week. As always, make sure you guys also check out the audio version of the podcast. If you weren't able to hear the whole show, check out the rest of it. You can check it out on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. You name it, we're there. Go check it out. Thanks for tuning in as always. We'll be back next week. You guys know the time. You guys know the place. It's 7.30 Eastern Standard Time, all of our social media pages. And guess what? This week we went to LinkedIn, baby. We are there. Go check us out. For Fred, myself, and bartender Brian, hope Jess feels better. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys.